Welcome to the First Unitarian Universalist Society of San Francisco's Sunday Morning Worship Service Podcast. For more information or downloads of previous audio services, go to uusf.org. While you're there, check out our monthly newsletter, Weekly Flame, and much, much more.
Jen. Happy Passover. Happy Easter. Thank you. You too. Did you hear that the Easter Bunny is an essential worker? I did hear that. I also heard the Tooth Fairy was too, but you're looking mighty nice in those Easter Easter Bunny ears this Thanks. morning. Thanks. Thought it gave me some street cred today. Yeah. I like your wildflowers. Well, thank you. It's Very a tradition. Nice. Part nice. of my Easter bonneting tradition. Yeah. Did you see who's back with us here today? Is Mark here? Yep. Yep. He's back from Oklahoma. Great to have him back. I know, but he's always so spoiled when he comes back from his sister's house. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But it's yeah, good. we saw him on all those videos, so we do know how spoiled he was looking. Yep. And it's great to have our singers here this morning, hey. Asher Davidson and Laurel nice Sprig. Happy Easter to you. And we've got Jonathan Silk and Eric Shackelford. They're some of the, our essential workers. Some of our essential workers. Robert DeLeo's here opening As the building again for us. Deeply essential. Yeah. Sharon Weld. Sharon, was were you saying anything? <laughs> No, you're just waving, letting us know you're here. Oh, oh good. So, I, so I'm guessing oh. service has started? Thumbs up, Vanessa. Oh. Service has hey, started. Welcome, good morning, everyone. everybody. Happy Easter. Happy Easter to so you all. So great to see it's you great all. great to see we're you. Just going, yep, we're down, heading down. It's very nice. I see the Deplasco Hottie family. And Judy way. Payne. Uh, good gave, morning. We love your flowers that you brought for us this morning. Yes, and I wanted to let everyone know before service starts that our offering this morning is going to go to the Good Samaritan Family Resource Center. So they're helping families. There are about 500 in the city who don't have enough food or diapers. Um, Mario Paz told a story this week about... Uh, families, many of them immigrant families, who are living like in one-bedroom apartment, 14, 17 people hmm. sometimes, sheltered in place, sharing only one meal a day. So we're not going to stand by and watch that happen yeah. without stepping in. So our offering this morning, you can donate from the website. There are buttons that make it really easy to do that or send in a check. It will be to help out their efforts to bring food and essential needs to uh, the folks Good. who are So suffering. please donate. We would appreciate your gifts. Yeah. We also wanted to make sure that you uh, put on your Easter bonnets if you haven't, because we hope you will take pictures and send them to us, and then wear them for the virtual coffee hour that's going to happen after church, which everybody is invited to. So please stick around after the service and join us there. Um, if you have any Easter eggs, you can show off. It'd be fun to see oh, those, too. Oh, I forgot. I brought chocolate, too. I'm oh, so it's, you know, we want to be careful, so, oh. you know. Oh, more for me. <laughs> more, yeah, right. more for you. I'm hoping Wendy's hid some for me at home, so those will be <laughs> okay. safe. I wanted to light our candle this morning as a way for us to come together in community for the gathered far and near as we come together to celebrate Passover and especially today, Easter Sunday. Our first hymn this morning, which you can find in your order of service, is titled... It's a mashup, actually. It it's is. a mashup hymn. Keeping the great Numbers tradition of this year. 61 and 268. And we'll appreciate Mark and Asher and Laurel in helping us on our way. The words are in your order of service. Sing out loud and proud.
please join in our unison chalice lighting. We light this chalice for the light of truth, the warmth of love, and the fire of commitment. We light this symbol of our faith as we gather together. And now for some brief invitations. Good morning, I'm Sharon Weld, the ministerial intern here at First Unitarian Universalist Society in San Francisco. For those of you who are visiting with us, please look for the links in the order of service or in the notes on the YouTube page about how to get connected to all that is going on in congregational life in this new chapter of figuring out what that means. There are links to sign up to get our weekly and monthly newsletters, which you'll find useful to get. They're the best way to stay up to date. And we're continuing our outreach effort to all members to find out how you're doing and where you could use some support. And most importantly for the minute, we are amazed, amazed at how many of you in the midst of all this that's going on have sent in your pledges and how some of you who are brand new have only started being with us since we've been online have also sent in support. Thank you so much, all of you. We were aiming for 100% of all our people to contribute. Whatever you can do, $5 or five trillion, Vanessa added that. Maybe that's her donation, I don't know. There's a button on our homepage, uusf.org, that allows you to pledge or send us a note or email telling us what you can give between July 1, 2020 and June 30, 2021, our next fiscal year. So thank you, thank you so much. And I have two additional updates. One, you're invited to join Reverend Vanessa's poetry class, which meets Thursdays from noon to one during the month of April. If you wanna participate, email Vanessa and she'll send you the Zoom link for video or the call-in number for phone participation. We'll also have 
Robert Smith, Smith with us, our poet in residence, so to, so to speak, for the next minister's book group at the end of the month. So let us know if you want to join in that gathering. And a new spiritual practices group that will gather in the morning is also starting. It's led by John Burens and Margot Campbell Gross. What better time to get the spirit in shape? See the order of service for details on how to join in that too. Again, welcome, welcome, welcome. It's good to see you all. And now we'll move to our meditation and breathing. Let us join together in reciting our covenant and followed by our doxology. Love is the spirit of this church and service is its prayer. This is our great covenant to dwell together in peace, to seek the truth in freedom and to help one another. Recognizing there is human suffering all over this world in the course of natural and human catastrophes, we ring our gong this morning in honor of two such places of suffering and struggle. We ring our gong in honor of the seven children who lost their lives in federal custody in our detention camps. And we let those seven rings stand symbolically also for those adults who have lost their lives in these camps, who remain in such camps, many separated from their families, and those who wait too in makeshift refugee camps at our border, waiting an asylum hearing. And today, 
We also ring our gong for other losses, those most on our minds these days, those lost to the virus we know by name, rehearsed daily in the updates we read, symptoms we memorize. As of this morning, worldwide, there were 112,241 deaths from COVID-19. We ring our gong this morning in honor of those lives too. May we keep those we have named and their families in our thoughts and in our prayers. And may each of us ease the tide of human suffering this coming week, howsoever we can. Please join me in a spoken meditation on loving kindness and compassion. Together we will send good wishes into the world to be happy, to be healthy, to care for ourselves joyfully, and to be safe. I invite you to find a comfortable seat to close your eyes if you wish, and to begin by simply attending to your breath. Relax into a deep inhale, and then exhale, slowing yourself into an easy rhythm and paying attention to how you feel as you breathe. Attend especially to your heart space and to the kindness of your intention. We'll start by focusing on someone who is easy to care about, maybe a child, maybe a grandparent, maybe a pet. And as we send good wishes to this person or being, pay attention to what it feels like in your body. As you hold this person in mind, join me in saying, may you be happy. 
May you be healthy. May you care for yourself joyfully and may you be safe. And now focusing on someone you're close with, perhaps a partner, a friend, a neighbor, and as you hold this person in your heart, join me in saying, may you be happy, may you be healthy, May you care for yourself joyfully, and may you be safe. And now I invite you to focus on yourself, perhaps somewhat harder, but you are in fact the ground of offering compassion. So saying with me, may I be happy May I be healthy. May I care for myself joyfully. May I be safe. And lastly, broadening our focus to the larger community, especially those affected most by this crisis. Join me in saying, may you be happy. May you be healthy. May you care for yourself joyfully. And may you be safe. And we'll close by taking one deep breath, focusing on the kindness of your heart as you breathe in and breathe out.
probably not accidentally, came to fall around the first day of spring with the earth's resurrection resonating in the air. Other traditions had their own stories about rebirth, including this one, told in part in a poem by local UU poet Lynn Unger, a poem written just a little over a week ago with these times in mind. The poem is titled Persephone. Per Persephone sits in the underworld, angry at Hades, but also wishing he would talk to her. She did not ask to be here. She is bored, and she misses her mother, and is eating pomegranate seeds because she has nothing better to do. Nothing about this is her fault. There is nothing she can fix. There is no way for her to know that an, at some unspecified point down the road, she will become the goddess of spring's resurrection. There is no way for her to forget that death has always been under our feet. And now our offering once again, which will go to benefit the Good Samaritan Family Resource Center and those families in need, particular need right now, will both be given and very gratefully received. Sound, sound, sound the trumpet till the round. 
the listening shores rebound. You make the listening shores rebound. You make the listening shores rebound. Rebound the listening shores rebound. On the sprightly old boy, the sprightly old boy, the sprightly, sprightly old boy play. All the instruments of joy. we find ourselves amidst the days of Passover too right now. The age-old story of a journey from slavery to liberation, from Egypt toward the promised land, also being told and retold in these days. Our second reading is entitled Passover by Kathleen Mateague. When the escape from Egypt was certain, when the last furious wave had closed over the enemy's heads and the dangerous waters lay smooth again, when the Israelites could finally turn toward the future without fear from the past that would snatch them back, what did they see before them? Not the promised land flowing with milk and honey, but the wide and terrifying wilderness that would claim them for 40 long, hard years of wandering. They were not carried along on a surge of vindicated faith, but stumbled forward with paralyzing doubts. And instead of enjoying sweet unity after all they had been through, they were torn by bickering and division. They walked into relentless uncertainty and discomfort and fell on the hard ground to wake feeling ashamed for dreaming of the easier life of slavery that they had left behind. Our own stories will never be quite so dramatic, yet each of us knows a little about what it means to be lost in the wilderness. We know the awful disappointment akin to despair of being suddenly pathless and alone when you expected to stride confidently straight into the promised land. We know how it feels to take a leap of faith toward some place we want to be in love or relationship, in work or school or location, 
only to find that nothing turns out the way we had hoped and expected. The familiar has been left behind, but we yearn, what we yearn for has not yet come into view. And there we are, lost in the desert. We have no way to know how long our wandering will last. These passages through the land of in-between are scary and uncomfortable, and the desert is a place where we would rather barrel through as quickly as possible toward the welcoming ground of our destination. But our time in the desert is not a passage that is in our power to speed up. I have never been lost in a literal desert, but there was a time in my life when I visited one every year. When I lived in the San Francisco area, every spring for five years I traveled with a friend to the low desert just over the California border into Arizona, where we camped for a week in the middle of nowhere. Every year the experience was the same. At first, especially after the damp lushness of the Bay Area, the landscape seemed absolutely barren and dead. And then my eyes would adjust and I'd start to notice all the complicated forms of life that, that thrived there. The dryness of the air made things crystal clear, even at great distances and the desert light drew breathtaking colors out of the rocks and shadows. At night, there were incredible desert stars. I hold my lesson from the southwestern desert close to my heart. They can sustain me through the deserts of the heart and soul when I wander the wilderness of the in-between. Our inner deserts have something to offer us too. It's hard to fight the impulse to get out of the place of passage as quickly as possible. But each day we spend there, no matter how uncomfortable, it is a precious day of our lives. What strange gifts might it offer to us if we can calm ourselves enough to look? After 40 years in the desert, the Israelites in the ancient myth finally reach its end. They touched life-giving waters again and waded into the Jordan, amazed and glad. Maybe they knew, even in that moment of deep relief and readiness, that the desert had opened and cleansed them in some necessary way. Maybe they understood how the wilderness had sharpened their awareness and softened their hearts so that they could at long last receive not just the gifts of the promised land, but the gifts of the desert that had brought them there. Oh, oh.
Good morning, everybody. We stand this morning amidst a confluence of stories, <clears throat> a season offering all kinds of metaphors to carry us. First, there is Persephone dragged into the underground by her uncle Hades to be his wife, wondering what the future will hold. In Lynn Unger's imagined moment, the young maiden, sheltered up until now, wonders basic things like, will there be life with sun again, with friends and parents close enough to touch again? In all her not knowing, she could be us. Never again to forget, even when rescued from some of this, how close death sits, always under our feet. And then there's Moses and his people, liberated, it would seem, from so much past suffering, now on the other side of the Sea of Reeds, and just steps away, they thought, from an eternity in the promised land, or so they thought, instead finding themselves in a desert place, wandering. Their duration in this place is not clear, taken day to day, not always the food you want available, the lines for manna are not long, but it's a redundant diet, like so much rice and beans in the larder. And there is the inconvenience, the hardship of doing without so much that they were used to. And all that grumbling at the leadership, rightly or wrongly, what's the joke? Why did the Israelites wander in the desert for 40 years? Because Moses refused to ask for directions? Indeed, some Moseses do refuse to ask for or take direction, and the people suffer as a result. Doubtless, too, some people weakened of body long before this hard trek began, won't have the constitution to make it through. The people, most of them, will get to the promised land, but there will be a lot of desert crossing before they do. Then, there are the Easter Christian traditions of this week, Holy Week, which began last Sunday with the story of Jesus's entry into Jerusalem. Years ago, I was in Merida, Mexico, during Semana Santa, or the start of it, on Palm Sunday, when people lined the streets uh, along a certain path through the city, and there was a Jesus, a statue, almost life-size, complete with human hair, riding a burrow with wheels that was pulled toward the church. And all along the way, people reenacting 
That day, long ago, people tossing palm leaves on the ground before Jesus, like the carpet of cloaks we hear that they laid down in the description in the book of Luke. This statue of Jesus that day in Merida already looked haggard and worn from years, decades of being taken out on this annual journey, which seemed to me then as now oddly fitting. It never made sense to me the uneasy joy of this man Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. After all, he at least knew what turning toward Jerusalem would mean. Take this cup from my lips, he prays on the Mount of Olives days later, but the cup remains. And in the end, the crowds that greet him at the gates that first day, well, they feel like they're hurrying and cheering him toward his cruel and final end, at least they always have to me. What follows this entry is a week of poignant and significant moments, the turning over the tables of the money changers at the temple, a reminder of the Jesus who can get angry and impatient with our penchant to make and keep nothing as sacred. There are the days he spends teaching at the temple, healings, and Thursday night, the gathering, according to tradition, of his closest friends, those who share his ministry, those who carry his ministry on after he's gone, gathers them in a Passover Seder led by their rabbi, a part of a formal commissioning of them into the ministry that awaits them, and part formal goodbye. The rest is the great unwinding, not a story for children, not the Easter of bunnies and bonnets, but the other Easter story, the one that begins with the betrayal of a friend, an arrest, an unfair trial and a false conviction all to serve political ends, and then so much cruelty. We human beings who have an extraordinary capacity for kindness and courage, for generosity and grace, are reminded at least once a year in our ritual lives, those of us who at least tell and retell this Easter story, we're reminded of this other side of who we can be, of how sometimes we don't ease the tide of human suffering Howsoever we can, instead we seem to urge it on. Perhaps mercifully, Jesus' life will end his misery at that point on Friday. For hours before we are told the sun fails, almost in a kind of natural sympathy with what it's forced to witness, and when he breathes his last, we're told that the curtain at the temple rips, though no hand is there to tear it. And it is finished, as they say. It's a rough week, Holy Week. A story in which 
evil triumphs, where cruelty and lust for power win out over wisdom and kindness, in which sectarian tribalism crushes gorgeous courage and these sweet and insistent pleas for unity. And it's a week in which one small band of people lose the person they love most in the world and would follow to the end of the earth. We who have heard the story before know that it doesn't actually end there. That's just Friday's portion of the week's story. We, we know of the amazing events to come. We know that by Sunday, today, loved ones will return to a tomb where Jesus' body has been temporarily placed because there wasn't time to bury it before the Sabbath began on Friday night. And they come there bringing spices and ointments to anoint the body to prepare it, and they find it missing. The rock rolled back, this empty tomb, and we, we know that they will meet angels there who tell them that the body wasn't stolen, but it rose from the dead. And we know that other disciples will see or meet the risen Jesus, including the two who meet him on the road and eat a meal with him before recognizing who he is. And we know that they will soon know that death does not have the last word, that life going forward won't just be defined by evil or loss, by some inexplicable means, new hope, awaits them, new life. But I realize I'm not there yet. I mean, that's the Easter, that last part, that's the Easter part of the story, right? But I'm not there yet. I'm a, a preacher on Easter morning, stuck in holy week times. And I wonder how many of you are too. I mean, holy week from the gates of Jerusalem onward is what? It's this journey toward predetermined loss and hardship and suffering. And my friends, that's the journey we're on. That's the backdrop of it, at least. That's the defining condition, or one of the big ones right now. We in San Francisco, we are lucky. We have bent the curve for now, but even with the bending right now, people are sick and dying or lost to us already. We rang the gong to them, 112,000. And before a vaccine is discovered and manufactured or a medicine is found that can suppress the viral response to a slow march of reproduction to give our bodies time to fight it, until then, this road is somewhat about predetermined loss and struggle, isn't it? How much loss? 
We don't know what it will look like on this journey entirely is mystery in part. But the minute we stepped into the COVID-19 chapter of our lives, we knew this is what it would mean. As much as Jesus knew some of what his journey into Jerusalem would mean, I imagine the day the vaccine arrives in shipments large enough to start protecting the most vulnerable and then the rest of us. And I imagine the day some discovery liberates us from fear. And I imagine that day all of us pouring out in the streets into something like ticker tape parade meets Mardi Gras on a scale unparalleled, that, that that day will be Easter for me and Easter for me when ventilators and N95 masks go back into storage and healthcare professionals go on vacation to Disneyland with their kids and their elder parents and folks with lupus breathe a little easier without masks on their faces, and choirs sing shoulder to shoulder Thursday night at rehearsals, and no one gets sick. That will be my Easter. But we're not there yet. For me, for some reason, the image that feels most real the one that sticks with me is of those two disciples on the road to Emmaus. Many of you, I'm sure, know the moment. It, it takes place after the empty tomb is discovered. These two disciples, they've heard about all the events there, about the angels and what they said, but that all feels like a tall tale to them. We aren't even really told why they're traveling to Emmaus, why now, but we are told that they're deep in conversation about what has happened. And we're imagining, we can imagine what that conversation might be, the raw feelings of searing loss that they're holding and naming together, the existential groundbreaking confusion about how to live through it and what awaits them as disciples of this man afterwards, they who are counting on him to guide their lives and shape their work and call. We imagine them talking about all of this and what it means and how to get through it. And you and I know, it's unfair how much we know, we know that in a moment, another traveler is gonna join them on the road and this traveler will talk and teach and eat with them when they ask him to and that only at that meal will they realize, will the scales fall from their eyes and they'll realize who it is they have been traveling with and then they'll have a sense of the way forward. But just before that is the moment, just before that, well, it's the moment that feels like this moment to me. Just before they're joined by this mysterious stranger, 
just then, just them, walking, holding all of it, trying to figure out a way through it together. To me, that's this year's Easter. I mean, we know there will be life after this hard chapter. We know most of us will get there. We know we'll come through it, not entirely what it will look like, but where we are right now is on the road, keeping company, wondering, journeying into the unknown, all of us a little bit afraid, a little unsure, but maybe too knowing, knowing that sometimes life is like this, that sometimes in desert times you just keep company until you find your way to the edge and until you finally know where all this was taking you toward or to. Maybe today we're not the Persephone who soon enough is going to be liberated to go outside and feast at her father's table with her mother by her side and the rest of her family, but instead we are the Persephone who sits wondering how long she's going to be in this unfamiliar place with all of its death, knowing too that that place will change her. Maybe we're the Israelites arriving eventually at the land of milk and honey, but not quite there yet. Maybe, as Kathleen McTeague said in the reading that Allison shared, right now we're being opened and cleansed, though, in some necessary way. And why not? Why wouldn't we be? I mean, wisdom and compassionate. Hasn't it always been what we are able to take away the door prize to chapters of suffering for those of us who can stay open-minded and open-hearted in the midst of them? And it's certainly true that a lot falls away in Holy Week times, in Hades, in the desert, by the tomb. In those places, one learns what matters. It's hard not to. For me, The good news of all this hardship we face is that when spring is sprung, or we arrive at the promised land, or we wake on the real Easter morn and we begin the next chapter of life on the other side of struggle, that you and I will begin with a new kind of clarity and a depth about how it is we'll rebuild and on what ground. And then we'll have a sense, a lived sense, of what life looks like on Easter, what hope on our two legs looks like. Bless us in our journeys then through hard places and into the liberations and hope that await us on the other side, because they do. Happy Passover, everybody. Happy Easter. Happy spring, everyone. Hold one another close and tender.
So we arrive safe and together on the other side of the story. I love you. Amen. In the spirit of how we journey together through desert places and Holy Week times, we're going to sing a song, Lean on Me, written by Bill Withers, who passed away this last week. Join us. The words are in your order of service.
If you're close enough to touch someone who's an allowable person to touch, you can join hands. But we're all joined in heart. And now in our comings and our goings, may the light of love shine upon us. Out from within us, be gracious unto us and grant us peace. For this is the day we are given. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Amen.
Thanks for listening to this podcast of the First Unitarian Universalist Society of San Francisco Sunday Morning Worship Service. For more information or downloads of previous audio services, go to uusf.org.